Hello and welcome to The Leap of Faith. On the programme tonight, my guest is Chris Patton, now the Lord Patton of Barnes. He's a British politician who served as the 28th and last Governor of Hong Kong and Chairman of the Conservative Party from 1990 to 1992. He was made a life peer and is Chancellor of the University of Oxford. He was Chairman of the Independent Commission on Policing in Northern Ireland from 1998 to 99. Lord Chris Patton, welcome to The Leap of Faith. I want to start, because our listeners might be intrigued, about your great-grandfather, 1840, coming from Roscommon. And there would be echoes of an Irish Catholicism somewhere in your history. That's absolutely right. Um, My great-grandfather, born in Boyle. I think I'm right in saying that the population there today is less than it was um, in the 1840s when he left. Um, He went to Lancashire. Um, became a repairer of cane chairs, um, then got into um, weaving, um, which was a step up in the world, and married um, uh, children. My grandfather um, went, was obviously a, a smart kid in the family, went to teach a training college where he met my grandmother. I never met them, they were because my father was, was the last in the family. Um, but they both ran Catholic primary schools in Ancoats in the centre of Manchester and the university is near there now, but it was was pretty tough going. It was full of Italians and Irish and the Irish um, built um, and taught and the Italians produced the priests and the ice cream. Um, And uh, so... My background is of is, is of Catholic teachers, um, and when I was education schools minister as a much younger man, and went to Manchester for the first time, the local education authority produced my grandparents' first pay slips from 1902, when the Catholic schools for the first time were brought in to the to the um, state system under I think it was called the Balfour Act. Um, so, um, yeah, my, my background is, is uh, on my father's side, um, Irish Catholic, and my mum, who was from Exeter, um, a, a milliner's daughter, and her father was worked for the local brewery. Um, my mum met my dad at a, at a gig, because my dad had become a drummer in a band, much, I think, to the horror of his parents. And then to the horror of her parents... Um, my mum fell in love with Dad, and um, they found their beautiful as she was daughter getting married not just to a drummer in a band, not just to an Irish drummer in a band, but to a Catholic Irish drummer in a band. Um, and uh, she became, um, as very often happened in those days, she became a Catholic in order to marry my dad. Without um, speaking um, ill of my mum, I don't think theological matters loomed hugely large in her life but she was in love with my dad and uh, um, they were a very happy couple. Now you're a politician with a known faith in in an era when I suppose other UK politicians used to say things like we don't do God. Um, What was the place of faith in politics for you? Well um, in life as a whole Um, First of all, in cultural life, um, it provides most of the landmarks for me. 
I can still, when I go into um, an art gallery or into a church with frescoes, I can remember most of the stories behind what I'm looking at. So it's always mattered to me uh, in that sense. More profoundly, I can't imagine um, coping with the predicament of being a human being without having a belief in the afterlife and, uh, and without having some uh, a sense of dogma as well. I don't think, I'm, I mean, I, I very much um, uh, follow what Cardinal Newman said, that, that um, dog, not dogma was fine, being dogmatic was not a good idea. But in, in my attitude to, to most of the issues that I've had to face in my life, um, I'm aware of doing so, not in a sort of finger-wagging, sanctimonious way, but I'm aware of doing so as somebody who has a, who's had a Christian upbringing and a Catholic um, upbringing. Um, I, I said to somebody on one occasion, which rather surprised them, actually it was a cardinal, that I'd been, my happiest time as a Catholic had been in when I was in Hong Kong. And the reason for that was because um, the Catholic Church was at the cutting edge of so much of the important social and political action there. Um, the Merinol Fathers, the Pontifical Institute for Missions Overseas, the Merinol Sisters, um, other nuns. If you were looking at, um, in, first of all, in politics, um, to a remarkable extent, um, the democracy movement um, was had been led by a large number of Catholics over the years, people like Martin Lee, who was a daily communicant. But in social programs, um, in, um, for example, um, dealing with hospice care, dealing with AIDS, dealing with street sleepers, dealing with um, prostitution, dealing with child abuse, in all those really difficult areas in, a, in any community, but perhaps some of them particularly difficult in a Chinese community, even a sophisticated one, the Catholic Church was very prominent um, in promoting social progress and on top of that the Cantonese liturgy was was um, wonderful great singing um, so I was really really happy I haven't been unhappy as a Catholic elsewhere but I was particularly happy being a Catholic in Hong Kong but yet the Chinese government might be a bit nervous of people of faith yes they might and there are some people of faith uh, um, who's, who've made their views on Chinese communism, um, very well known, like, like Cardinal Zen, the, the wonderful, spirited champion of, he was a champion of democracy, but also a, ch a champion um, of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, um, and has been a, a critic of um, some attempts to um, sort of snowpake the Chinese Communist Party's attitude to religion, which under Xi Jinping has become, in many respects, even tougher than it was before. The idea of wisdom, I just want to tap into that for a moment. There's a, a US professor, Robert Keegan, he says that wisdom is often being able to hold conflicting thoughts without causing internal conflict. How are you with that idea of religion causing conflict for you at any stage and, and being able to square it away? I don't think I've ever really found that um, a great problem. Partly because over the years I've made no secret of my 
opinions on issues, even when they're in some conflict with whatever is the prevailing argument in the church. Um, so I've always been passionate about um, the consequences of um, uh, the Vatican Council um, and very critical when um, people seem to be dragging their feet about some aspects of it. One of the reasons why I like this Pope is it seems to me that he's he's revisited a lot of those issues and his expressions of Catholicism who am I to judge to remember one of them and the sense in which he reflects I think uh, St. Matthew's Gospel um, that I've, I've found extremely rejuvenating but I've never really had a, had a problem in, um, in taking political decisions which um, seem to run against anything which I'd thought about or, sh or sh people thought um, uh, I should have thought about more, more strongly um, perhaps, I, perhaps I've just been lucky but I, I do regard um, life as not being a sort of progress to sunlit uplands. Um, I regard it, as I said, as a series of um, predicaments which we all face as human beings. And you have to find your way around those predicaments as well as you can. Um, and I hope, with the guidance and help uh, of the Church in doing so, uh, I think that the Pope's view of of the Catholic Church as a sort of um, field hospital um, helping you through life is rather more um, uh, 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 rather more assistance than seeing the church as a as a sort of police station. For some of our listeners this evening, the, their own relationship with their faith will have been damaged or hurt as a result of the abuse scandals associated with the church. Um, you yourself were in a school, in St. Benedict's school, where there was, like many schools, situations where children were abused. Um, how did that not shake and in any way damage your own relationship with your faith? It didn't really. What shocked me, but again we're talking about a human institution, um, albeit one with a, with a singular and important purpose. What we saw and what we've seen over abuse is the completely unjustified and unjustifiable, even if humanly understandable, um, uh, attempts by an institution, by the church, to put safeguarding its own reputation ahead of looking after kids suffer the little children but when it came to the point people were more concerned about the reputation of the church and that's that's unforgivable well it's nothing's unforgivable but it comes pretty close and it's caused obviously huge offense to have the church speaking out and wagging its finger about issues of private sexual morality at the same time as covering up on some of those issues. Now, in my own case, I was blissfully happy at school, but there were some incidents which were awful. Um, the record of those incidents, quite properly, 
um, has is is brought out again and again until people feel that they've got closure. The school is now um, very very well run by a lay headmaster. Um, it's co-educational. Um, it has terrific results. Um, I've become president of of the school, and in many respects. Um, I'm an example of social mobility, a lower middle class scholarship boy, and I owe a huge amount to that school for what I've achieved in life. So nothing can forgive um, uh, abuse, but on the other hand, um, we have to uh, be open about it, clean it up, make it uh, very very difficult for it to happen again. So my own school, for example, my old school, has now gold standard uh, uh, procedures for dealing with any potential abuse. We have to um, face up to our past um, in in order to try to avoid the same things happening again. Um, maybe maybe I was lucky, um, but uh, truth to tell, almost. Um, it, 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 Almost every situation in which um, anything like clericalism applies, in any situation in which um, older people seem to have, or charismatic people seem to have power um, over others, um, can produce horror stories. I want to just broaden the conversation out a little bit further to the extent that the Middle East is often simplified as a religious war. West versus Islam. How right or wrong is that comparison? Um, I don't think it's it's right to see it as a war between Islam and Christianity. Um, if you look at almost all of the um, conflicts at the moment, it's between different parts of Islam, Sunni versus Shia. And I don't hold with the view that um, Europe is um, a perfect example of a Christian civilization, um, which from time to time and today has to deal with assault from the Islamic world. Um, think of Spain. I've just, I've just been for a wonderful, delightful weekend with my wife to Seville. Um, and you see there in the, um, for example, the wonderful 13th century architecture um, and, and the uh, patronage of, I think he was King Pedro, a combination of Christian and Islamic art, including um, in the king's palace, um, scripts from the Quran as part of the decoration. And it's a reminder of, of the contribution which Islam has made. Now, you could think of other examples in the sciences, the, the translation of the great classics um, of, uh, of what we call Western civilization, Greek and Latin, thanks to um, the world of Islam. So I refuse to see the, um, uh, the history of Europe as, as wonderful Christians and um, uh, wonderful Christian crusaders, I add with a question mark, um, and, terrible, and terrible Muslims. Broadcasting's loss was politics gain. You you could have maybe started a career in broadcasting uh, oh. at, at an early stage, but you found yourself back in the BBC then uh, at a later stage with a lot more influence, I imagine, than a trainee would have had. My question really comes back to the idea of the importance of religious literacy. 
and the role for broadcasting in that. If we lose that literacy, can we can we engage in proper debate? No, I think it's extremely extremely difficult. I've been re- reading. I've only just started it. Um, a book by Tom Holland called Dominion about the extent to which many of our values and our system of values um, actually stems from from Christianity, going right back to the crucifixion. Um, And I don't think that you can be um, an an educated human being without knowing about um, uh, the role of religion in in our history and in our society. It's not not to say that in order to be an educated human being, you have to be a Christian. I'm not saying that at all, but you have at least to have some um, some knowledge of the Christian contribution to our history, to our architecture, to our art, to our philosophy, um, and so on. Otherwise, I think it's very difficult to understand the contemporary world, let alone the world in the past. I uh, I can still I go back to how I started and the extent to which um, a, an ordinary uh, Catholic primary school education informed much of the knowledge I take into an art gallery when I go in um, or a church. I remember going into the uh, the uh, the French church in Rome where there are three fantastic Caravaggios of the life of St. Matthew. Um, the last of which is that famous one of Jesus coming into the the tax office in Palestine or wherever and pointing down the table at St. Matthew, um, saying, in effect, you're coming with me, and Matthew looking very nervous about it. Um, uh, it's said to be the Pope's fav- favourite um, painting, The Vacation. Um, and I can remember the morning in primary school sitting on Mrs. Williams' knee, being told that story. So I owe a huge amount to um, uh, to the fact that I, um, I know those basic things about our history, um, and I think I'd have had a much impoverished life if I hadn't um, known all that. And I, I repeat, it doesn't mean you've got to be a Christian or a Catholic, um, that you've got to believe in, in a transubstantiation in, in order to be a proper human being. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it's very difficult, I think, to get the most out of life, um, to negotiate your way through the through its um, uh, difficult waters, um, unless you actually have some knowledge of the role of, of the church, churches, of faith groups uh, in our life. Are you able to have an influence on the religious upbringing of your grandchildren for example um i hope that any contribution i make is by example rather than dictation um they've all been to church primary schools of one sort or another both um, catholic and church of england they go to a variety of secondary schools um uh both church schools and and non-church and and independent schools or state schools which aren't um, affiliated to to a church um my one of my young grandsons is um uh, who's eight has just got into the one of the best church choirs in uh, london in england 
uh, which he's delighted about. Another of my grandsons has just got into the under-10s football squad at Queen's Park Rangers, and I'm proud of both of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't try to try to dictate. I'm just, I'm just very pleased that um, all my daughters have a sense of the spiritual dimension, um, which they exercise in, in, um, in different ways. You wrote once that, uh, I think you said, your mother would have regarded talking about politics or religion as slightly indecent, and you are doing both. Um, <laughs> an afterlife. Do you think you will get to meet your mother and your father again? I believe in an afterlife, um, but exactly what it comprises, um, uh, I don't think anyone could know. I would, I would have difficulty in understanding the point of life, of, of creation, um, if it's simply snuffed out. I'm, I'm 75 now, and inevitably it's a subject which you think more about. Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't think um, it terrifies me, but it sort of interests me. Um, and... Um, <laughs> I look forward to the experience, um, and if I'm wrong, like millions of others, then one won't know it. So, so there. That's a point at that point. What's the role of prayer for you? I'm. I'm. Uh, this is going to be like a like a confession mm. to which I still go. Um, uh, partly because of. Um, seeing my, for example, grandchildren um, going to their first communion and confession and thinking, well, if if, if they're doing it, I, I should be doing it more. Um, uh, I, I, I find prayer difficult to accept in a ritualistic way, mm. to be perfectly honest. And I've tried all sorts of um, uh, ways of uh, behaving more intelligently. Um, without huge success, so my my prayer tends to be the repetition of familiar words, which I try to th think more about um, when I say them. I think probably for me, reading the scriptures is is um, uh, more valuable or more useful than simply repeating um, formulae, which I've been doing since I was. Um, uh, small child, although some of that is is rewarding. Um, my f my father used to, when putting us to bed at night, my sister and myself, used to take his thumb and make the sign I N R I on our forehead, while saying um, familiar words to many, which he I think he'd first said when he was on the convoys during the war with the. Th imminent threat of being sunk by a German submarine. Um, may Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, preserve me from sudden and unprepared death. And <laughs> that still, of all the repetitions, that's the one which I suppose um, I've used most. Final question for you. Your time in Northern Ireland would have resulted in threats against your life. Um, would you have ever question the ability to forgive people for doing that or even to pray for them? I hope so. It was quite 
in some senses amusing to find myself after I'd produced um, a report on policing in Northern Ireland and was um, uh, in a position where one or two people were trying to change our report. They thought it was it had taken on one or two issues too bluntly and they thought they could they could do things in a more sophisticated way, avoiding um, facing up to the fact that round pegs don't go into square holes. And I found myself in a position where people were saying, um, we want pattern and nothing but pattern. And the people very often saying it were people who not very long before had been part of an organization which had been trying to kill me. So I thought that was there was some irony um, in that. But um, I'm not very good on the whole at turning the other cheek, um, partly because I can usually think of um, uh, sometimes funny, though not always very charitable, things to say about people I disagree with. And uh, maybe that rubs off too often, and is certainly one of the things I have to uh, remember in, in confessions quite frequently. So I do find it difficult to forgive people. But I find it particularly difficult to forgive people who've lied um, or who've been hypocritical. Um, that I find uh, a real problem. There's a great um, Polish anti-Marxist philosopher called Leszek Kolakowski, who said um, in uh, politics, um, being deceived is no excuse. In democracies, being deceived is no excuse. And um, perhaps I call people out when that happens too often. So, um, I don't think you forget the past but as, as uh, an Anglican, Church of Ireland, Bishop of Belfast, Louis McNeese's father, I think, said, um, we should remember the past, the better to forget it. Lord Chris Patton, thank you for joining us on The Leap of Faith. Thanks. And that's our programme for tonight. From our producer, Sheila O'Callaghan, broadcast coordinator, Jarlath Holland, and me, Michael Cummin. Take care and good night. <laughs>